Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. It should go without saying. I'm your host, Andrew Lewis, and we are one third of the way through the AFL season, a little bit longer this season with 23 games and 24 rounds. But um, joining me, as always, to chat all things Australian football league is Cameron McDonald. How are you doing, Cameron? I'm good, Punner. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well, but. I've got some. I've got some. I've got some sad news for our listeners. Off the top, um, some. You know, I think um, we've had we've had an institution um, on this podcast over uh, the five years, or four or five years, of going or something like that, uh, with regards to football, and that is the yeah. AFL Player Rating Brownlow Medal. Um, unfortunately, the uh, AFL player rating Twitter handle, uh, which used to post up the uh, ratings for each individual game, has fallen silent. Um, they haven't posted anything since last year's grand final where the AFL player ratings had Chad Warner as the highest rated player on the ground. Um, but um, as such, it looks like, and I can't, it looks like there won't be. And any more AFL player rating, Brownlow? I don't know whether they've just decided to put behind the paywall because of all the free content we were getting from on this podcast, all the thousands of listeners um, <laughs> waiting with bated breath to find out who won the AFL player rating, Brownlow. But um, I can't seem to find it. I can't seem to get anyone from Champion Data or the AFL to respond to my tweets about why they're not up. Uh, um, we keep hearing. You know, I think I think plenty of reporting and and stuff about who's the high the you know the highest rated general forward or all that sort of stuff. So the the, the numbers are still out there somewhere, but um, not by the game game stuff. So I think SEN, I think in the run home on on a Wednesday night, tell you who is the basically the highest rated players each week who don't get coaches votes. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, maybe the um, clue, but then you know, all of the. <laughs> Go ahead. To, to Dusty, to Nat Fife, to Clayton Oliver, to Took Miller, um, to the, the, the illustrious names that have adorned the honour board on the AFL player rating brand line. I think we'll have to just pour one out. Um, and I'll have to spend the rest of the AFL season trying to find another gimmick for some content. <laughs> A shame. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, maybe the um, so, maybe the so, uh, the death knell for um for the AFL player rating Brownlow may have been Chad Warner actually receiving a best on ground for the AFL game <laughs> final in which none of his team managed to show up. And, so and by and by some distance. I mean, he was good that day, but he was on his own. Um, mate. Um, you at the were you at the game yesterday at the MCG? Seventy one thousand for a Collingwood Sydney game on a cold, wet Sunday afternoon in May. Absurd crowd. You'd think I would have had to have been there, wouldn't you, to um, to generate an, a figure like that? But I was um, I was actually flying back from Perth and I was delayed. So um, special shout out to the um, incredible hostess uh, on my Virgin flight um, who 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 went down to business class and managed to get a football score for me at two separate uh, occasions um, during the flight. <laughs> uh, she was a star and, and um, yeah, I managed to keep track and caught the last uh, 15 minutes, but um, another pretty impressive performance, really. 
Another impressive performance. Unfortunately, um, today that's no one's talking about the football uh, in that game. Um, we've had a little bit of this story coming through this year with Jason Horn Francis, and uh, I was at the game a couple of weeks ago where um, some St Kilda supporters, um, maybe not of, um, or maybe possibly of questionable intelligence or, or uh, foresight, um, decided to boo. Horn Francis as he uh, as he played a very very good game against the Kilda, but yesterday for some reason uh, a, whole, a whole bunch of, uh, of footy fans had the Collingwood Sydney game, I assume not City supporters, and decided to boo Buddy Franklin. And now we've got a whole huge debate going on about um, booing, um, which uh, it's sort of not been raised and not been an issue for a couple of years. We did have it basically a year where we didn't have anyone at the football, but. Um, now that the crowds are back, um, these sort of things, this sort of thing is starting to pop up again. And it's, um, I was just, uh, you know, obviously you weren't at the game yesterday, but um, I just uh, was wondering what your, your thoughts about that were. Because I think, um, you know, I don't, it's not a, it's not a Collingwood issue uh, in its, um, you know, just a Collingwood issue. Um, and I think, it's a, it's an issue right across the league, but um, Collingwood's reputation um, across a whole wide range of areas, sort of off field, has been enhanced in the last few months. Um, we had the you know public statements from the Collingwood Football Club around and the Collingwood St Kilda game about the events of 30 years ago at, at Victoria Park in 1993, um, which were welcome. Um, but um, this might be this might be a step back, I guess, in, in that sort of thing. Yes. Well, you know, I think the club is being very well led in that regard. <clears throat> I've got a few things to say about the, the whole booing debate, um, because there's obviously, yep. there's a little bit, there's a bit of nuance to um, to Buddy getting booed yesterday, um, uh, which, you know, you'd like to think that um, it's just a little bit of, you know, a, a, a famous uh, a famous Collingwood villain in that he, you know, has won games against us off his own boot and games against everybody off his own boot over and over again. It was the first time he'd made an appearance uh, in Melbourne against Collingwood for 10 years um, and perhaps a few Collingwood fans. Uh, you know, I, you know, we had a, a wonderful opportunity to, uh, to applaud a greater the game. Um, and in my experience, that's just not what, you know, not a lot of football supporters take that opportunity um, or, you know, rather, um, you know, like Collingwood supporters are not going to um, stand and applaud a Sydney champion unless he's, you know, unless he's finished and he's coming off um, on his teammate's shoulders. It's just never been the way. And I recall going to see... Um, I recall going to see Essendon games when I was a kid and if James had made one mistake, you know, you were into him for the rest of the game and you just, you know, that was ignorant and, and silly. I just didn't like Essendon. Um, and he was the, he was the embodiment of Essendon. He was, he was their best player and such a gifted player, but you couldn't view him that way when you were a kid because um, you hated Essendon so much. Similarly, I think Essendon people probably couldn't stomach Nathan Buckley and um, anyone who was in the conversation to be better than your great player was someone who got booed. And I think I think that'll be out there forever. I actually think that 
Um, you know, I, I like to think that my football opinion is much more nuanced these days and that, um, you know, that I can see a great champion play, running around for another team now and, um, you know, put the booze away and just enjoy it for what it is. Um, you know, that's certainly where I've got to. But, you know, as you put it, the, the sort of uncultured or those that haven't really been able to lift themselves out of that childhood phase of just hating completely on another team, trying to put them off their game, this, that and the other. You know, like they're, they're all they're all essentially neutrals that are booing Jason Horn Francis. Like, um, they just don't like the fact that he played one year at an absolute shambles of a club and then wanted to go home. It goes against some kind of ideal that we carry really close to our hearts or whatever. But I, my, the main thing I want to say in the booing debate is just, I kind of wish that it wasn't raised in a press conference. My worry now is that. We, we could enter a phase where Buddy's booed every week by the opposition supporters. Um, I, there's an element of the of the flames being fueled because, you know, McRae was asked after the uh, Horn Francis game, you know, what do you think about the booing? And his answer is always the same. He shuts it down in a really kind of magnificent fashion. We don't boo in my house. You've paid your money. You can do whatever you like, but we don't boo. That's it, it, I like that from a leadership point of view because he's saying well I, I wouldn't do it you know me and me and my friends and my family we don't do it and and in theory what he's saying is you know if you all look up to me then you shouldn't do it either and I think that that can be a really powerful message for the Collingwood faithful but I'd love a press conference to go by when a player has been booed and for it not to be referenced there's never a great reason for a well, yeah, there, I really don't think there's ever a great reason for a player to be booed. Um, you, it probably There's probably a bit of a spectrum there and things ramp up a little bit if, if a player left your club in extraordinary circumstances or whatever. But, um, yeah, there's certain parts of it that I think are the theatre of the game. There's certain sections of the crowd that are going to do it no matter what. You, you, I... I would like to think that there's there are no racist elements to what took place yesterday, but Lord knows in 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 the mind of somebody who was booing vehemently, there may well have been. But just don't put don't put fuel on the fire if you're the media, in my opinion, because it, it, what ended up what ended up going on in the in the whole Adam Goods discussion was that you know there was there were a section of people that were absolutely racist, no question, and and that grew and grew. There was another section of people who were just like, don't tell me what to do. And I, and mm. you know, if it's, if it's not acknowledged, I, I think some of those loud Muppets will just go back into their shell. I also think people are getting better at, um, at telling people, you know, in the crowd that what they're doing is disrespectful. Like if I heard, a, if I was at the game yesterday and I heard people booing Franklin, I would have gone, don't boo Franklin. I just would have said it at that, at that level. I wouldn't have hit anyone. I wouldn't have, mm. you know, got bent out of shape. But I just would have said it at that level. And I would hope that somebody listening to it would second guess themselves. Um, and I think that goes on in the crowd these days. So that's my overview. Um, I just, yeah, I don't think we need to acknowledge there's, it. There, there are, there, I agree with a lot of what you said. And um, there's a lot of things that I think are true about this that could sort of go off in all different directions. Um, I made a decision to give it away, um, doing it at all ever for any reason when the good stuff happened. Um, 
having young kids at the football who feel like it's just something they want to join in um, because, you know, you're sitting in an area surrounded by supporters of the other club, of, of the same club, and, you know, they might they, they just might feel like, oh, well, everyone else is doing it, I'll do it, and I'll understand what they're doing and, and ha- you know, what sort of effect that might have. Um, so at that stage, I just, yeah, and, and, and it is, you know, the, 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 in the final analysis, the thing you could say about booing is the game wouldn't lose anything if it never happened again. Um, you know, I don't think. You know, I think I think the only the only the only the only thing we'd lose is from the people who. You know, and I can't think of anyone in the AFL at the moment who for the whom this would be true, but players who want to be booed um, <laughs> because they want to lead into the sort of wrestling heel slash villain role, and you know we have had those people in sports um, throughout, you know, the whole history of, of organised sport. Although, as I said, I can't think of anyone in the AFL at the moment who's sort of, who, who fulfills that role or, or seeks to. Um, I do think it being raised at a press conference, you know, for, for whatever reason, and we're not trying to double, you know, second guess what John Longline was trying to do other than trying to protect his player. Um, but, it, you know, there is that element of people in the, in, at games now, who'll be like, well, you know, as you said, don't tell me what to do. Um, and it seems like right across a whole, you know, a whole wide range of society and a whole range of spheres that are, that are not related to sport, that, that seems to be a, a growing trend in the community. It's just like, I'm just going to do something because you told me not to do it. Um, so I do think that that's the reason. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, speculate about anyone's motivation um because you know um you know i'm not gonna because it, it, it's individuals um who are making this decision but at the very at the very least um when during the adam goods thing it did provide a sort of cover for people who were doing it for nefarious reasons um regardless of what the explanation was um uh, having all that, probably in defence of the people who are suggesting that we should give booing away, um, most professional sports people don't want to get booed, and it's the it's the mostly the ex sports people in the media now who are calling for people to stop booing because you know they don't like it. So, um. And, and and on top of all that, yes, uh, people pay their hard money, pay their they pay their um money and pay their you know, help pay the wages of these rather highly paid sports people. Um, stop this sort of thing happening. They feel their yeah, fans feel entitled that they pay their money to do this sort of thing. But yeah, you know, we've got bigger issues. Um, you know, Dave Swan's identified one. He just he, he thinks one of the bigger issues is you know, adults wearing footy jumpers to the footy. Um, I would have thought a fair amount of I would have thought a fair amount of Dane's salary over the course of the journey would have been paid by people who fit that description 100%. So um, um, maybe don't bite the head that fed you once, Dane. Um, but it takes away from it was a pretty good performance, but again by Collingwood, um, a pretty good reaction to what happened to Dacos earlier in the game. Um, Sydney looking like they're struggling to get a foothold, but, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be really writing them off terribly much because we know that, you know, they could turn it on. They were 
2017, I think they were 0-6 and made the finals. So they're in nowhere near that hole. Um, that was another thing that came up this week. It was the it re, maybe we're having this podcast at the right time, but it seemed to be the week where we decided that the eight was set. Yeah, <clears throat> there's been a little bit of that. Richo uh, coming, narrative. Richo hopping on like Sunday morning, and saying, "Oh, well, the top four set now." Um, despite the fact that half of the teams that ended up in the top four on Sunday evening hadn't played this, hadn't played their round eight game yet, and then um, this morning, Derm's like, "Well, the eight set. You know, seven of the eight lock them in." Um, <laughs> So maybe we yeah. just all go into hibernation and come out in September and see who the eighth team is because seven seven are done apparently. I like I like four teams above. Uh, I think there's four teams in a bracket above the remainder, and that isn't the current top four. Um, I think there are no. I think there are three teams in the next bracket, so I can see where Dermy's coming from. And then I think there are, I think there are probably three teams in the bracket after that. Um, yep. in, in which case, those three are fighting for eighth. And if I had to, I mean, I, I, probably not, it wouldn't be too many surprises in those brackets. I, I think Collingwood, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Geelong are a bracket. Then I think yep. uh, that the Saints. And the uh, oh geez, I've lost my middle bracket. Um, Bulldogs anyway. and Port Adelaide. Yes, I thank you. That's my that's my middle bracket, and then um, and then Adelaide, the Swans, and Carlton. And uh, stop the clock right now. I like what Adelaide's done the most of of those three teams. So of course there are a number of different things that could happen at this point, um, but. That would be my eighth if, if I if I had to give it to you now would be Adelaide in eighth. Um, there's still a whole lot of variation uh, that could exist above that, but they're my brackets. What do you think of the brackets? Well, I think the top four is reasonable. Uh, um, I haven't seen any of those teams in person this year. Was that Collingwood, Melbourne, Geelong and Brisbane? Um Two best teams I've seen in person this season, and I admit, I admit it hasn't been a huge sample size, but Port Adelaide are number one and Essendon are number two. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, I've seen Carlton play, and they they were good in some areas and deeply flawed in other areas, and we'll talk about Carlton in a second. So, um, so Port Adelaide looking more like the Port Adelaide from 2020-2021. Um, and I think we're all where we've been for a long time with the Bulldogs, um, which is that, I mean, I've seen the Bulldogs in person this year, and when I saw them, they were very poor. Um, but the names are still there, and they still perform, and they've turned things around a little bit, but they've probably gone through an, an easier patch in their fixture. So... Um, you know, they've still got most of the really tough teams to play. They haven't played Collingwood. They haven't played Geelong. Um, so we'll see, but they've had a few easier weeks. So, I mean, I think the top four is, is really... Uh, I think that I think the four that you've said in your top, that's absolutely fine. It's three of the top four from last year uh, with in terms of ladder position. Um at the end of the home away season, it's the, it's three of the top four that made the preliminary finals um, 
but that was a different fall. So um, I think that's reasonable. And I think Port Adelaide have been pretty impressive and St Kilda have banked six wins. Um, and we'll get to St Kilda in a minute. Um, but I'm not really I'm not really fussed about separating the next bunch of eight or ten teams into more than one tier, really. Um, <laughs> I still think they I still think they're all in a bunch, and one of them's managed to win six games. The rest of them won four or five. So, um, I think we all sort of expected, especially especially after the first four games, that Carlton were going to be, if not that top tier, then in the just behind the top tier. Um, and since then, you know, they've lost to Adelaide, they've lost to St Kilda, they destroyed West Coast in Perth, which is something for which you get no credit, and probably rightfully so. And then, you know, this week, once again, they weren't very good. Um, Adam Chair has come out today. I think, you know, he got sent to the uh, the Wolves in terms of the press conference, uh, the Monday Monday press conference, and um, he's basically come out and said, you know, if we don't make the finals this season, if we get better, but we don't make the finals this season, that doesn't mean the season's a failure. And, um, you know, apart from being something that no one who no one who played for Carlton 40 years ago would have ever dreamed of saying, um, it's not the sort of ambitious language you want from one anyone at the Carlton Football Club at the moment, considering where they are in the list build and who they've got, but also not not from a guy who has probably really played two or three really good games in out of twenty seven or twenty eight since he's arrived at the club. They they they're probably a little underwhelmed with his output since he's arrived, considering what they gave up for him. So it's it's a it's an interesting comment in in the in the context of the expectation game where I think Carlton's expectations probably need to be a little loftier, wouldn't you think? Oh, look, all I'll refute straight off the bat is is that at at round four, uh, we all kind of expected them to be in the top bracket. I, I, I don't think they've played anything like their best football at any, any stage this year. Um, And, and the, the big comment I had to make about Carlton watching them, you know, quite a bit this year was that their their one would, which made them potentially so damaging last year, um, you know, which is just belt teams in the guts and get it forward quickly to two absolute monsters um, with a handy little small brigade around them, you know, but, but a really clear edge on most of their rivals was their capacity to slam on quick goals out of the guts and take advantage of 666. They didn't really have a transition yep. game for most of last year. They weren't a great team in defense for the majority of last year. Um, and sides that were able to quell them at center bounce or who focused on defense at center bounce could, could string a lot of goals against them um, in transition. So but but you couldn't deny their absolute strength. And the the theory was that with, with so much talent in every position on the ground, and on paper, this is a list that um, you know, that is that rivals Melbourne for for the most talent, which is I think what's getting to most of the blues fans currently is, you know, they know how many good players they've got and the competition knows how many good players they've got. And every man and his dog had Carlton probably in the four, but certainly in the eight prior to the year. But in their, um, 
in their search for something beyond their one wood, they've actually gone away from their capacity to hurt teams with their one wood, or perhaps, you know, sides are just feeling like they can stop the one wood and then go about beating them the way that they would like to beat them. Um, I think it's probably more likely the latter. I think they're really easy to coach against, which I think is a, a bit of an indictment on, on Michael Voss, although you'd think his position is safe for a little while longer. Um, but there'd be a lot of people um, licking their lips about the, the possibility of coaching a side laden with that much talent. Where Chera has gone completely wrong here is that they, they must make the finals this year. And losing language like that in a press conference and, and giving yourself an out, you're really saying that you somewhat don't expect to make finals. Um, and, and, you know, you've put that quite eloquently that, that, no one would dream of saying that stuff at Carlton 40 years ago, but they really shouldn't. They, they should have been coached in how to approach all their media stuff. And, and, and this team, this team on paper must make finals. Um, and I really think the time to strike is, is if it's not now, it's very, very soon. Um, their, their salary cap is bulging. Um, you know, I don't think they'll be making any more off-season plays. I think they need to maximise the talent they have now. A lot of talk around where De Koning's going to end up next year. Um, you know, they just want to beat you by having a better player in position than the player that they're up against. But from a system point of view, they're miles off it, um, and they might win it. They might win their share of yeah, games on talent I mean, this year. But I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. How does a team that has Sam Doherty and Adam Saad in it beat? How can that, that how can that be a bad transition team? You know, um, you would think you'd have the kind of any sort of you know any sort of yeah. You've got the pieces. You've got the you've got the guys who you know. Sam Walsh is perhaps the best spread player in the league. Um, mm. The only area where they're really deficient, I mean, they've got they've got the tall defenders. Weedering and Lewis Young is, you know, certainly final standard in terms of a a. a, a in a halfback combination, um, we all know. I've you got know, the two, the last two common medalists, and we all, you know, the, the, you don't need to go over Kerno and and Mackay and how good they are. Um, the only area they're really deficient, I think, is that you know they don't really have. They're they're very pedestrian in that forward line once they away from those two guys. Um, they don't really have a you know. So, I mean, Jack Silvani is replacement level forward you know I, I wouldn't have any problem with him at my club um on, on, a, on a you know on, a, on an intel you know as, a, as an intellectual exercise um you know there's that no, there's nobody spotty stuff but you know I, I i think he's a pretty easy play to like um but he's not essentially anything special but he's probably better than who they have forwards who are all you know they're not they're not there's not one small forward at Carlton who's be- as good as any of St Kilda's best three small forwards. Uh, um, you know, they they they'd be a different outfit if they if they had a Butler or a Higgins or a Gresham, um, and St Kilda's not a team for whom that would be true. They, you know, if they had it's probably the same. You could say the thing about Geelong's three best small. Um, Brisbane's, you know, and I mean, you know, we're comparing them to others, but that's where Carlton needs to. Um, Needs to be aiming, um, but this sort of language coming at this stage—they got the bulldogs on Saturday night, and it is an absolute 
I mean, it's a kitchen sink game for Carlton. They have to. They just have to bring the kitchen sink. This is this is an absolute must-win game for them. Um, if they lose that to the Bulldogs, they they they'll be a game and a half behind the Bulldogs nine in. Um, and I would suggest not a bet them um, as flaky as the Bulldogs can be. So the problem for problem for Carlton is you know on paper Bulldogs strengths tend to match up pretty well with Carlton's strengths. So um, that'll be a, it'll be a very very interesting game. But it's not it's not necessarily what Carlton read right now. Yeah, the Carlton could use a could use a game against Hawthorne. Be truthful, considering they've already. I mean, that's the other thing. They've already played North Melbourne and West Coast. So, um, you know, four and a half wins, and three of them have come against, I think, teams with a combined four wins. Uh, they, sorry, they didn't beat Richmond. So, um, there's drop points there, and basically, no one has dropped points against Richmond this year, other than, I think, the Eagles and someone else. So, it's not a lot of. There's not a lot of quality, um, other than they got Geelong early. Um, in that uh, Carlton resume at the moment, so, and 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 the other thing I would point out is, just seems like um, it seems like the huge sliding doors moment when they made their last coaching appointment, and I think there was a lot of there was a lot of huge raps on Voss coming back into coaching that he was going to be a better coach. He might be a better coach this time around, but I, I still think there's. There seems to be glaring weaknesses. This is looking more like, you know, this is this is this is looking more like the Brett Ratton experiment at St Kilda, where you, you think someone's managed to address their concerns second time coach, but and and might not have necessarily been given a go. I thought, although I thought Voss got more of a decent go at Brisbane than Ratton did at Carlton, but it, it seems like the same deficiencies are there that 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 Voss is not as strong strategically as you need to be in 2023. Um, he thinks Carlton can essentially win with talent and effort in a way that I guess the teams he made his name for playing uh, tended to do, which was, I mean, Lee Matthews was not a not known for being a strategic coach, but that was at a time when you didn't have to be, but you know, there's Brisbane's strategy when Voss was captain of the premierships was one win contest, two get ball, you know, dispose the ball as far as possible, three repeat step one. Yeah, spot on. Um, and and yeah, they're probably leaking a bit too much, and that sliding doors moment is um leads us in a delightful segue, um because they had Ross Lyon a, a long way down the road, um before the start of the 2022 season and, and, and Ross decided not to go to Carlton. Ross, I think, either his first or second gig as an assistant coach in football was at Carlton at about the turn of the century um, after being at Richmond. So I think he went rich, from Richmond to Carlton to Sydney and that's, of course, they worry about his name to to get in, his name into head coaching circles. Um, it's... And it was very clear... Um, as I've said every St Kilda game this year, and I've been to all but one, the one in uh, one in Adelaide. Um, five minutes into the first game against Fremantle, it was 2010. <laughs> Fremantle would just win the ball, you know, win a turnover in their back half, and look up, and the ball would stop. Mm. It felt it felt very familiar. 
and it 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 is uh, it has been extremely effective. Yesterday was one of the worst games of football ever played. Don't don't um, <laughs> don't let's not beat around the bush. Um, not by the fact that while the Docklands win full, um, when the roof on it is a wonderful place to watch football, the atmosphere can be tremendous. Um, yesterday they only opened a third of the top deck. The, the reported crowd was twenty two thousand. If there was twenty two thousand at the game yesterday, I've got eight kids. Um, it is a it is a, it is a place where you get when when you, when there's no one in. And I've been to plenty of games at the Docklands where there's no one in. Um, it's cold, it's damp, and it's it it just just doesn't lend itself to good football. Um, but this this is a sort of this is a, this is the sort of the, the the flip side of the coin to to Ross Ross Lyon and the way he coaches is that he gives you an avenue to win the game when you are when you are poor skills wise and you know for two weeks in a row now they fumbled and they they've haven't kicked well and missed targets so they've lost by nine points and won a won a game by five goals against a team that was probably you know, coach to just not get flogged yesterday, to be perfectly truthful. They kicked four goals yesterday, North Melbourne, and Larky kicked three of them in about 15 minutes. Um, but it was, it was, it's incredible to see how effective the method of coaching and the style of play Ross Lyon wanted him to play, um, how, how quickly he managed to get it successfully implemented. So, you know, my head says, you know, this this will continue, and we'll manage to, and, and we'll find ourselves, probably, you know, to be to be fair, probably in a semi final this year. But the heart says, you know, we were eight and three last year, and and it went to, it went to the toilet. Um, I'll I, I won't be cancelling my September holidays until, you know, they put up that graphic, um, clinched final spot. You know, mathematically can't miss, um, which didn't happen in 2020 until the last Friday night of the home and away season. So, but um, yeah. And then the other thing I would mention is um, St Kilda supporters are happy again. And this is this this is this is this is a piece about the the culture of the of the supporter group at the St Kilda Football Club. You know, historically long suffering and sort of the old joke about you know you the the players that do a lap of honour when they win the toss. Um, you know, happy to stag their three or four wins a season through the eighties and se- would celebrate them like premiership wins and 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 then and then we came good. We got this incredible bunch of young players. Bulldog went into Sheldon, you know, Bulldog became Sheldon's coach and and there was this there was this more successful culture brought. We we made finals and we fell down and then we rose up quickly again and then we fell down quickly again and then we rose up again. And we had this little dip, and that's where Ross Lyon comes in the first time, and then we up, went up again. And we've cut, we, you know, that group, the 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 group that Ross Lyon coach came as close to winning a premiership as any team has ever done in the history of the game without winning one. And then we went down again, and I think secular supporters had at least become accustomed to the to that. You know, it it could be bad when it went down, but it wouldn't be long. And but but two thousand and mid 2010s rebuilding is different from early 90s rebuilding to mid 90s rebuilding to mid 2000s rebuilding it's just harder 
there's more teams in the league. It's it, the the bottom is further down. It's further away from the finals. So things started to turn, and there seemed to be some trajectory to it in 2017, and it never happened. Um, and at that point, St Kilda supporters, you know, if you were watching them from the outside as sort of a sociological, you know, observation, you would have thought, these are not the St Kilda supporters of the 1980s. They are, they are not going to accept this sort of stuff anymore because they came so close. And, you know, we're not going to be down for a long time. You have to, you have to fix this. St Kilda have to be back, you know, competing for premierships. And then these same supporters, five minutes into the Fremantle game this year, are presented with something that reminds them of when that was that when that was happening, when we were competing with premierships, and suddenly it was just like a very comfortable pair of slippers, and suddenly we're all relaxed again. So, uh, it's good to hear. It's um, it, and it's uh, you know, I think for for the neutral that there, there's very few people who who gave St Kilda a a genuine chance of being a top four side at this stage and a top eight side, uh, you know, pretty comfortably, I think in most people's estimation, you know, by this juncture. Um, and it, and, you know, I think Frio was probably a pretty handy first side to get, even though, um, uh, I tipped Frio and I thought that they would, um, I, I thought that, you know, they might be, they might be around the mark of where they were last year. Um, but but Frio themselves, uh, you know, don't want to move the ball quickly even when there does appear to be an avenue, which is what they're getting smashed um, for in the press. Um, so a, a nice opponent for us to get first up. But you're right in saying that even if you want to move the ball quickly against um, the Saints, that he that he, you know, has ways of of stopping that. Um, it was sort of a fascinating game, the 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 Collingwood St Kilda game in in Gather Round, and you know neither of us were there in person to see so much of what was going on tactically. But it was fascinating on paper with you know Dugowie out um, ill and uh, you know a, a number of players supposedly uh, under a similar cloud, no ruck division. Um, but they wanted to play um, the way that they had been playing, uh, and and Ross was was able to take a lot of that away. Um, from from the outside looking in, I mean, my my biggest query on the Saints for a little while has been A grade talent, um, and you know, so so what you're describing there with Ross's capacity to get the best out of. Um, you know, a team and be hard to play against. Um, you know, we still remember that, um, you know, there were some serious A graders at, at certainly when he was coaching St Kilda. Um, and then, you know, uh, he was also coaching the best player in the game uh, when he was at Fremantle. Um, this Saints side on paper had none of that um, and is completely reliant on system. Um but uh, there's a couple that have left up, and and I'd love I'd love your thoughts as a Saint supporter on, um, on Mitch Owens because uh, I've seen him do a couple of things that look very very special indeed, and you know, it, I mean you'll have to you'll have to tell me about the lot like 
uh, where he's come from and draft position and all that kind of stuff because these are the players that you absolutely need to leap out and, and mm. be stars in the comp because you, you haven't had um, the capacity to pick the eyes out of, you know, uh, high draft picks, and yet this kid looks every bit like he might have been one. Yeah, so I think he was a, I think he was mid mid twenties or mid thirty pick. Um, but because he got through the top twenty in that year, we were able to get him because um, he's a local boy and his mum is Japanese. So um, he was an academy kid, non traditional background. Um, mm. So you know, after years and you you know, um, I haven't changed my mind about the academies or the or the father son, but it is nice that we were able to get some benefit from that through one year because we did get Owens and Windhager, may, maybe possibly at at slightly better than market value. Um, and you know, Windhager had a very good season last season. Sort of struggled this year, got injured in the wrong time of the preseason, and and is back down at Sandringham. It's been Owens who's um, kicked on this year and, and, and but you know I think <laughs> I can't like I just can't recall seeing anyone as competitive as that bloke and he's 19 and I tell you what if you, if you, don't get tackled by him because I don't <laughs> think it's a pleasant experience um you know he's just he's just super competitive he's strong he loves the contest and they he I mean the big knock on on Sinclair in terms of obviously you can make the knock of it they haven't had enough A grade talent but there's a specific type of specific types of players you need and Sinclair and Essendon are probably two midfields where it's been like well they've got plenty of talent but they just don't have the big bodies um, and Sinclair over the last two drafts have sort of managed to grab two of them in terms of big bodied midfield types Enough, neither of them are playing in the midfield at the moment. So, um, but they're the two players who've managed to stand Rising Star nominee, nominations this week. So, Owen's got his around four. Filippo just got his Rising Star nomination for yesterday's game. Matthias mm. Filippo, who fell to number 10. Um, there was a moment in yesterday's game where he got the ball just backward of, backward of the centre square on a everyone's pushed up sort of turnover. Um, so he's probably 110 meters out, or 100 meters out from goal when he gets the ball, um, and he looked. I don't think he looked up. It was just like, okay, there's no one in front of me. I'm kicking the goal. No, he didn't kick the goal. He he, he got 55 meters, and one of the North Melbourne smaller blokes managed to just get enough pressure on him that he that his booming 55 foot left foot kick just um just missed to the left. But this is a bloke who just has confidence in space, which is another thing that's been missing. Uh, um, you know, we had this period where we just we, the, the dickheads policy at St Kilda sort of left us with uh, these confident swagger types, most famously when we drafted Paddy McCartan over Christopher Petrarca. That was the knock on Petrarca, apparently, was that he was a bit full of his own um, ability. Um, proven to be a pretty good assessment of his own ability, by the way, there, Christian Petrarca. Um, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> we haven't had this type before, and this bloke, this, this kid comes in at 18. Um, Gets asked at his first press conference after he gets drafted when they've got the microphone stuck in front of his face. And he says, oh, you know, Essendon was thinking about you at number five. They picked someone else. His response was, oh, I hope for their sake he's good. <laughs> walks in walks in a Moravian, walks straight up to the um, number two, um, the number two locker. And, you know, so oh, I think I'll, that's the number I want. Um, doesn't get it. 
you know, cause it's just like, you're just going to slowly, slowly matize. But this guy, you know, I think, I think genuinely probably goes to bed thinking, you know, this keeps going well. I keep doing what I need to do. I might be the back full time, um, which is almost certainly not going to be the case, but he can, he can jump out of the ground. He's got a thumping kick and him and Owens are going to swap between forward and midfield as this sort of double headed monster where one's, one's resting forward and one's, one's, going through set of clearance and all that sort of stuff. So, um, and, and, and the other thing, I guess this year in terms of t- taking next steps and all that sort of thing is we really, we really have picked the guys out of rookie drafts, um, over, over the last 10 years. Um, we had two all Australian squad nominees last year and one of them got in and they were both rookie draft picks. So Jack Sinclair's, I think still the best halfback flake of the competition, but he's playing more in the midfield now. Um, I probably, I can understand sort of the rationale about trying to get your best players on the ball, but I, I, I'd probably rather have him at halfback. And um, Callum Wilkie again, um, 10 coaches votes yesterday against North Melbourne, and it'd be, it'd be, it'd be hard-pressed for him not to be in the All-Australian side this year at centre-halfback. Um, a guy who's you know, got drafted at 23 um, and hasn't missed a game since being drafted in the rookie draft. And and, uh, and Rowan Marshall also is also a rookie draft pick, although I think there are probably some people who think he's going a bit better than I think he's going at the moment. But um, I don't think he's hit 2019 heights, but um, he's certainly getting a lot of the ball and, and, he, and he, he gives them a point of difference because he doesn't. Uh, I, think, I think the way the ruck's gone now is sort of, more your Tim English types and 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 those types and, and as I've said in the past, Rowan Marshall's more your, your Luke Darcy, Brody Grundy. I'll, I'll just get the clearance myself um, type ruckman who are mm. there aren't many of them around. Um, so and we get Max King back on Sunday. So who last time he played in Adelaide had six kicks for six goals. <laughs> Not too much to ask. Look, we've got we've got we've got things we can address, but. Um, it's it's just it's. I think St Kilda supporters, particularly the, the particularly last year, I think in the second half of the year, were sort of all anxious, thinking that almost to the point where we willed it to happen. But um, you know, there'd be just points in games where we couldn't get near it, and we give up runs of goals and all that sort of thing. And and through eight rounds, we're the only team not to have given up five goals in a row in a game. Um, so indication of not just system but also probably mental toughness which is sort of starting to creep into that team as well and because mm. it's, it, it's probably the hardest thing to do at the moment is to consistently not give up those runs of goals because of you know if a team gets a run on the center like almost all, all of Carlton's success under Balka Voss has been built on um they can get a lot in a row in a hurry so we play with them we play with the house's money this week in Adelaide it, Ross's least happy hunting ground has killed the coaches of South Australia. So um, we'll see how we go. But I have a sneaking suspicion that, that being away from the cold, empty docklands for a, for a week might be might actually do them favours. And hopefully it's a nice sunny day in Adelaide on Sunday, Mother's Day. Drew the short straw again. Second straight year we've been drawn for the 110 game on Mother's Day um, when everybody is doing something else. So... <laughs> Can't complain. We played a Friday night the other week. It was on a five-day break, so just a, Collingwood managed to avoid it. 
it, it's almost like the NBA that week. It was like there's just a couple of schedule losses that were affected. And I think three or four teams playing on a five-day break, that could be avoided um, with getting rid of the pre-finals buy and having two two buys through the season and, and like 16, 18 rounds where there's eight games. So you get more Thursday night footy. You get no. You could eliminate the five-day breaks. You could be a little bit cleverer. But I think I've raised this before as well. Nineteen teams might help the buy situation. Oh, that's a good segue. That's why we pay you the big bucks. Yes, Tasmania <laughs> got entered into the competition. Um, I, I'm trying to raise. It. Look, I think there's a question here about. There's no question actually about whether Tasmania deserves. Did you go? Tasmanian supporters deserve their own AFL team. Um, in terms of the history of the game, how much they love footy down there, how many great players they've produced to, you know, pretty much every football club on the mainland, certainly every football club in Victoria. There's no question, but I still, they'll get, they build a 25,000 seat stadium. They'll have 25,000 there on, in game one. And it'll be the same 25,000 in year 10. It's, it's a realised, uh, the potential is realised down there, I think, mostly. And I think, I think, I mean, it's it's a reward for a whole bunch of hard work by a lot of people who, who deserve that recognition and deserve that reward. But it's, I don't see the team growing that much from their first year in terms of support and um, in membership. So I, I find it. I find I find myself struggling to raise a, a huge level of enthusiasm. But it'd be. I'm sure if you played there. In April, it'd be a nice place to. Go and watch a game of football. I've been to a game in Belarive where St Kilda kicked three goals all day, and that was in July. And I don't know if I can absolutely recommend that. It was a little chilly. Well, they're talking about there's been a lot of publicity around having a roof, um, you know, less for the rainy days and more for the cold days, which um, mm. which I can get around because it will be it will be cold down there. I I, I don't know. I, I'm a bit of a sucker for for um, for this whole narrative, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to barrack for Tassie, but they'll pretty quickly become my second favorite team. I just. Whether, whether it's about growth or whether it's about inspiring the next generation of Tassie kids, where the representation is pretty violently down. Um, they've been reeling off that stat about, I think, four Tassie kids drafted in the last three drafts or something like that. So, um, you know, that's, that's pretty glaring for a state that has produced some of the greatest to ever do it. So um, you, you want to see that. I think the, um, you know, the stadium size being... I think identical to Gold Coast's, um, you know, but being full every week, um, that'll be great. Yeah, all the all these growth markets that they've aimed. It'll be in a. It, it'll be a cauldron, ahead. if if it's if it's that size, and I mean in terms of capacity, I think the ground will probably be a bit smaller because Carrara's Metricon Stadium is enormous. Um, but if it's that size and it's full every week and there's a roof. Um, It'll be a very difficult place to play um, if you're an opposition team. Um, Spot on. Yeah. So and, yeah, I mean, yeah. if you're Collingwood, you'll play the first. You'll play Tasmania's first game in the competition down there, and then you won't have to go down there for four or five years. So it'll be all right. <laughs> Just get it out of the way when they're nice. And sort of like have a cheap gag at the 
Collingwood never travel trope. Yeah, go on. We, no, we I'm, I'm done. <laughs> views nice. Views nice from up there. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I just and obviously there's also the all the all the issues about list build. Um, it, it's interesting. It's a, it's sort of an army march situation between what the AFL did with introducing Fremantle from scratch, um, who were competitive almost immediately and stayed at pretty much, but never got above that level of uh, competitiveness until they then had to rebuild. So the first few years of Fremantle, they were a mid-table team and then they fell away. Um, mm. So they didn't want that to happen. So they then went with what they did with the Gold Coast and GWS, which was sort of exacerbated by the fact that the two of them were coming in at the same time. But you know, t- they were they were horrendously uncompetitive for three years. Um, and then things started to turn around and started to build up. Gold Coast have never sort of kicked on, but it's sort of like Fremantle without the period of competitiveness. GWS season five prelim and you know five or six years of really being a, a tough out um i think they'll want to get somewhere in the middle with that they're talking about keeping the draft in terms of you know we're not just going to give them a whole bunch of picks at the start the you know the things about them having to you know being forced to trade draft picks the great thing about them having to trade draft picks is we'll get, you know, like the, the wonderful reductive, you know, Fremantle could have had Andrew McLeod and all these players. No, they couldn't. <laughs> they had to trade those draft picks for players. <laughs> they couldn't have had Matthew Lloyd. They had to trade that draft pick. They had to take Todd Ridley, okay? And, you know, Kevin Sheedy had Matthew Lloyd hidden in a pocket somewhere in East Keeler or something like that. So <laughs> but we'll get more of those, you know, more of those. Oh, you know, Tasmania you could have had um, and all sorts of stories. Which some of the stories about the list build scared the bejesus out of St Kilda supporters because they're like they're, they're suddenly that you know they had already fitted up their three rewalt jumpers for the three rewalt boys, and so it's like Tasmanians might have Tasmanian might have access to you know suddenly we're all going to everyone at St Kilda is going to be describing Nick Rewalt as you know Queenslander Nick Rewalt because he was from Tasmania <laughs> to Queensland eleven. He was he was about sixteen kilometers away from being drafted by Brisbane right before they won back to back to back flags. So Wow. Um and Brisbane tried to get their zone expanded so they could get their hands on Nick Rewalt. That's that's a bit of a slow doors moment. But anyway, I digress. Um it'll be interesting to see. We'll find out more uh, as the next because they they've got a bit of a lead in time, haven't they? Twenty twenty eight they're coming in, so um we'll be doing well if the podcast is still going. In twenty thirty eight. Surely the um, surely the point, uh, the the the, rev- the one worth reviewing is the Dangerfield one, where uh, contracted players should be fair game if they want to play for Tasmania. You Which should be able to, you should be able to take one from every club. Yeah, um, I think Patrick and- Dangerfield's point is if he if that if that's happened, then the next step is they'll introduce it at Geelong. So any contracted player who wants to play for Geelong will just yeah, thanks Kat, thanks Patrick. Um, well, it's interesting, but, you know, because we do need we do need to get creative on this one. And he wasn't he wasn't the Geelong captain when he made that statement. He was the AFL Players Association. Um, you know, head we're hunter. getting into dangerous so, territory here, Cameron McDonald. We're talking about crazy ideas about list builds. We're talking about people who wear, wear multiple hats. I think it's time to start talking about Eddie Maguire. Um, <laughs> he's done he's it. Footy, footy classified. 
last week, and I think he mentioned it on his podcast with Jimmy Bartell. Um, I think Jimmy and Eddie uh, Maguire mixed together like uh, like gin and asparagus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just not a lot of chemistry on that podcast. A lot of Eddie talking. Um, he was talking about GWS. He thought GWS should play 11 home games in Western Sydney and play all their away games in Canberra, which is from the Jack Elliott School of Bad Ideas. Um, I just we we had a, we had a quiet fallow period where we didn't get any Eddie. We 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 had gone a little while without Eddie McGuire crazy. All the all the non-conformist, non-standard, you know, stick in your aisle Eddie McGuire stuff. Crazy Eddie's my favourite, but no home. He's like GWS don't need to come down to Melbourne. I think he said, or they don't need to go anywhere else. They can Mental. play the finals up there. They can they can find a they can find a ground, like in Penrith, somewhere between Western Sydney and Canberra. Bega, I don't know that sort of maybe on Mount, Mount Kosciuszko. They could play the finals there, sort of halfway between, so they don't have to go very far. I mean, oh, look, bad enough we had to fight. We couldn't find out who the home <laughs> team was during gather round. Adelaide and Port Adelaide got an extra home game every year now, so. Uh you're not going to get much out of me on Eddie. I, I, there's there's a level of embarrassment when it comes to that man that I, I don't know whether I'll ever completely shake, um, despite all the good <laughs> things he did for Collingwood. And, and that, like, as you say, it's been relatively quiet on that front. And he must realise that, you know, that, that the, the club that he loves and that he left is in pretty great shape. And we managed to shed... Um, what must have been a, a number of layers of skin just really comfortably. Um, and we've moved on. And I don't, I mean, if, if that was that all said on classified, I just never turn it on. The free to wear is not I think on very it, often these days. It was. I just, I, I, I just, I hop on the next day onto Facebook and just get the four minute clips. Um, mm. I think, I think Eddie misses Ross. I think Eddie misses Ross line. You know, it's like, yeah. Oh, we're gonna get our ducks in a row, and we'll we'll go through through the process. And um, I think he just missed it because now he's gonna deal with Damien Barrett, and you know you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy. Um, God, purple, <laughs> purple. <laughs> um, yeah, one of yeah. The, I mean, what we're really doing here is you know, um, and I completely you know at, at level playing field, we're just trying to attack our opposition because you know Damien Barrett's got a podcast with Craig Hutchison. And now Eddie's got one with Jimmy Bartell, so you know we're, we're this this podcast is on that level. So we're just trying to <laughs> maybe start generate a feud, you know? Oh, how good would a feud be for our yeah. podcast? And I think how we found we... out how to start a feud because and, and you know Matthew Lloyd's one of the most underrated pundits we have, but him to get on classified the other night that the meme that was going around about the new port, the new the new Tasmania jumper with the prison bars. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think Eddie leads into it a little bit. He gives the people what they want, but he just went—he just went completely stone-faced um, <laughs> as that was. So just like give the people what they want. Maybe that's what they paid for. But you know, good work, uh, Matthew Lloyd. You—you you, doesn't obviously doesn't mind a jape. Um, but <laughs> now um, let me uh, let me have a look at the. We need some thick music here. Oh, we don't know the fixture yet, but hopefully when we get to round sixteen the end of round six or something like maybe we'll do it early but if there's a thursday night don't worry i'm thinking out loud we'll come back 
and reconvene in eight more weeks. Everyone will have got through their buys. We'll be ready for the run home, um, hopefully. And, you know, if Eddie or, you know, Damien Barrett, Purple, if you're listening, maybe we can get on a usually ticket, you know, like the talk show hosts do in America when they all appear on each other's shows. And we can put pressure on the AFL to bring back the player rating Twitter so that I can do the player rating Brownlow. It's not too late. Um, but hopefully we can sort it in the next eight weeks. But uh, then we'll come back and we'll have a much better idea of what the run is, whether, um, you know, whether we're sure Carlton have had a successful season, um, whether Tasmania is getting one, two or three rewalt kids. You know, I think we'll, we'll have a better idea about everything in eight weeks. But um, I think we could be fairly happy with the clubs at the moment. A combined 13 and 3, one of those losses coming in a game between the two teams. <laughs> yeah, we're off to a good start on this pod. Uh, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna close off with one, and that is that um, I, I hope Callum Wilkie yep. makes the All-Australian side. He's, he's, um, he's, uh, he's playing terrific footy, and as you say, you know, it's the second year in a row. Um, you know, it, it does feel like it's his time. Um, but I'm perfectly willing to place uh, the best bottle of wine you can buy on his name not being read out at centre half back because there's never been a stronger lock for the it'll be Darcy Moore. centre half back than the bloke <laughs> in the black and whites. And I'll bloody fight you about it. <laughs> well, boo. 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 Nah, nah, nah. Darcy was having an incredible season. I think he was best on when we played you guys. So, um, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain if Wilkie's anywhere in the 22, as long as he's in there. Well, they name, I mean, well, they name a sub this year. They didn't name one last year or the year before. So that five. All Australian sub. <laughs> um, had it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't see how he went off the bench. I think he kicked a goal on the bench coming off the bench last week. Um, not a forward, I think is probably. Probably pure um, wheels would be dusty or Edgefield. Well, I mean, another respect for for man, I'll knock yourselves out. Um, but um, yeah, maybe not, maybe not a forward. Um, mm. until next time, Cameron, thank you. Good on you, Pana. We, we'll be back here in, in a few weeks if I'm still alive after this uh Phoenix Denver series for our NBA finals preview with uh with uh, our resident NBA expert experts. So that's the next time we'll be probably up on this feed. Until then, this is the podcast. It should go with that saying.